This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. It's Shake Them Ropes, the premium edition. You know it's premium because I'm doing the introduction. My name is Chris Novembrino. Joining me once again is Jeff Hawkins. Hi, Jeff Hawkins. I feel that's a burial in some ways, and I, I I don't I don't want it to be because it's like okay, run the show, and then I'll start recording, and then I'll do the intro. I don't know. Yeah, why you, do you you opened yourself up to this one, uh, oh, but God. we are here today on the premium episode to take a look at the wrestling career of Andy Kaufman. Obviously, there have been a number of really good documentaries done on Andy Kaufman that look at the whole of his life, and I could recommend any number of them, but what we are doing specifically is taking a look at Andy Kaufman and Jerry Lawler's interactions in Memphis wrestling. Isn't that right, Jeff? Yeah. What are your thoughts on Andy Kaufman? Because I know there's a bit of a generational gap between two of us. I was 10, I think, when he died. Um, so, but I... But he was like already ta- dead when I was born. I was born yeah, in 1986. Ta- ta- but, ta- but Taxi was, was still kind of in those syndicated reruns. For a long time during my childhood, so I'm kind of interested in your thoughts on Andy Kaufman, especially having watched, you know, some of these documentaries. I'm sure I've watched a few of them, or if you've watched Man on the Moon, which I can talk about a little bit about the production later. But uh, what, what's your what's your take on Andy Kaufman as a whole? So I guess it gets into my discovery of Andy Kaufman, and my discovery of Andy Kaufman was on that very first run. Of Comedy Central, the really, really early yeah. format where they had Dr. Katz, professional psychiatrist, which I can't recommend enough. Great, great show. Uh, but they also used to show fairly frequently, I'm from Hollywood. And I was about nine or ten the first time I saw I'm from Hollywood. And, and especially at that point, I was not someone who could understand a kayfabe documentary. So it really kind of surprised me. But the thing that I was able to put together fairly young was that Andy Kaufman was a comedian who also learned how to not like break the fourth wall, but took the conventions of professional wrestling, the the kayfabe convention in particular, and was bringing that into comedy, where everything was, uh, I think, uh, as they put it, a man man in the moon, a happening, that that he was doing these these happening things, but, but Kaufman's comedy was more complex than that. So once I got him as more of a performance artist, which was fairly early on, I, I was completely enraptured. I think this guy's fucking genius. And yeah, I, I I don't I won't say, well I'm I'll I'll say genius, but I I think a lot of the people that end up talking about him as a genius don't have and this isn't towards you, but this is towards people like Jim Carrey who I'm I'm kind of hot and cold on, you know who really 
pound the genius thing. I think there's a lot that they don't get about him. You you put it perfectly. He's a performance artist. He's not a comedian. He, I mean, in fact, I think he actually. Ha- I mean, he played in comedy clubs, but I think he had a disdain, or at least was the, had the kind of thinking where he was bored by the typical stand-up type thing, and he was just kind of trying to amuse Stand-up himself. Is one in form of ways. a performance, right? Like I think Tony Clifton's really helpful to understanding this, right? Like he yeah, wanted to t- Tony do Clifton that type is, of performance too. Tony Clifton is basically deconstruction of stand-up comedy, and 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 uh, you know, but a lot of people focus on his trollish behavior as opposed to kind of the whimsical side of Andy Kaufman as well, because he had that, of course. Um, you know, I, I found this interesting. It, it's uh, it's Zamuda talking about uh, Bob Zamuda, his friend, and usually the guy under the Tony Clifton makeup. Um, and also, like, just the general helper dude that Kaufman would use in a number of different contexts. Like, Kaufman would be yeah. the zany man, and Zamuda, he's like the magician's assistant for Andy Kaufman. Yeah, and in terms of comedy history Zamuda's very important as he's the driving force behind something called comic relief which some of you might remember from the mid to late 80s it was a uh you know all these com whoopi goldberg billy crystal and uh robin williams hosted it was a benefit for the homeless um big thing but bob Zamuda is really the the brains behind that and uh, oddly enough i find whoopi goldberg to be the closest thing to kind of Andy Kaufman that I can think of in terms of being performance artists that parlay that into a kind of mainstream comedy career because she wasn't a stand-up. She was, you know, she was more of an actress that then basically did a one-woman show on HBO with all these crazy characters she used to do. And that's what parlayed her movie career uh, into existence. And that's kind of how, I mean, one of it basically Kaufman got taxi because of this foreign guy doing stand-up bit that he would do that he was doing on on the comedy circuit for the most part but but here's a description of uh the final 12 or 15 hours of andy's show at carnegie carnegie hall in 1979 the yeah the first act ended with a 350 member uh impersonators of the mormon tabernacle choir entering through the back doors and caroling down the aisles the new york city rockettes entering from the wings, the real Santa Claus riding through on his sleigh, and Andy's grandma Pearl, who'd been sitting on stage on her own sofa for over two hours, ripping off her face to reveal that she was actually Robin Williams. Before I said, I, I said that if you're all good, we're all going to go out for milk and cookies. Well, I've hired... Okay, now you've all been very good. Really have. Okay. And um, I'd like to take you all out for milk and cookies now. So if you'll all please, in an orderly manner, there's 20 buses out waiting for you outside. Wait a minute, and listen to instructions. There are enough buses for everyone if the buses each make two trips. So everyone who gets out, go on the buses, and the buses will make... If you don't get on the first round of buses, don't worry, they will be back for you. So just wait patiently. So everybody, please go out, like nice ladies and gentlemen, and go out, and and the buses will be waiting for you outside. Just follow me, okay? Thank you. Act 2, the audience of 2800 boarded a herd of buses and were driven in the rain to the New York School of Printing, where they were seated in kindergarten chairs and given milk and cookies while snake charmers and sword swallowers performed, and Andy wrestled all interested female attendees. It got close to 2 a.m., the hour where the bus company would start charging serious overtime fees, so to clear the crowd, Andy announced Act 3. The show would continue the next day at 1 p.m. on the Staten Island Ferry. Andy and Bob had 
actually planned anything there, but just in case anyone believed them, they figured they should show up. A good idea, since when they arrived at 120, they found about 350 people from the night before waiting, as Zamuda puts it, quote, with smiles on their faces like little kids. Andy proceeded to buy each person a round-trip ticket and an ice cream cone, and again, to wrestle all interested female attendees. <laughs> and this is after that show, which was really designed to be his ultimate feel-good performance, sort of the magnum opus of Andy Kaufman, and, and you get... Pretty much all of Andy Kaufman's different bits and various bits are all sort of the classic various bits, but that the tail end of that show, that is Kaufman all the way. It, it's the idea that the stage doesn't end on the stage, that the stage is everywhere, that any place can be an event. You, you can make show business magic happen by just buying tickets and ice cream to the ferry. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. He did have the, I'm, you know, for, for me, his performance art was, how can I emotionally manipulate this audience to feel the way I want them to feel and then control those feelings? Because the, you know, the foreign stand-up slash the, the Mighty Mouse lip-syncing thing that he did on uh, on Saturday Night Live was originally, okay, I want you to feel sorry for me and then I'm going to win you over. You know, that's why he, he kind of gravitated to pro wrestling for me was the instant reaction of the audience. Well, now, there's another wrestling convention going on there with uh, Here I Come to Save the Day, which is the wrestling convention of making them wait. Making yeah. them Making them want to see this one particular move. Um, and, and that's something that's you see so much of the conventions and the rules of wrestling getting ported onto his comedy, and, and they they blend very nicely. But what people glom onto is all the the stories of him trolling people, and it, you know it's one of those things where I think the early version of the Gatsby bit that I, he later did on I think he did it on Saturday Night Live, but you know he had a sold out audience for uh, the Universal Amphitheater. He went out there and just started reading a book. And it took about 30 or 45 minutes before people started getting pissed off, realizing that there wasn't going to be a comedy show, and, well, and, and then walking eventually out. eventually he pulls out a record player, and he sort of gets mad at the audience and says, you know, because they start booing. He really tries to work them into a froth. This is very wrestling right here. And then once he works them into a froth, he goes, fine, I'll give you an option. You can either have me read the rest of The Great Gatsby, or we can play a record. And they all are assuming that if they play the record, the record's going to be Mighty Mouse, yeah. Here I Come to Save the Day. And instead of it being the theme to Mighty Mouse, he puts on the record, and it's Andy Kaufman reading, reading The Great, the Great Gatsby. Gatsby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a long walk for the joke, but it, it almost doesn't work if you don't work the crowd into a froth first. But I, I think live performance was more his medium. People asked why he didn't do more movies, and it was like, you know, he did he did this wrestling thing during his downtime from Taxi. He was actually bored doing Taxi. At one point, I remember in the latter parts of Taxi, they made him, they made the writers in order to keep him, they, they, they made the Latka thing a multiple personality character where he could actually, you know, go into different personalities and then talk to, talk to Alex, the... Uh, Judd Hirsch character because he was just so tired of doing the Latka, you know, wacky foreigner character. But at, at the same time, while he's doing Taxi, in, in 
during the offseason, he'd, he'd be a busboy at Jerry's Deli, which is right across from uh, CBS Radford Studios here in Studio City. And he probably just did it just to interact with people. He loved the interaction with people, which is why he probably didn't do a lot of movies and, and TV otherwise. Live performance was his thing. And I could see, you know, it says in his biography, he grew up watching Buddy Rogers. I could see why he gravitated towards professional wrestling. Yeah, I, I think actually at one point in one of the promos uh, between Lawler and Kaufman, Lawler puts the perfect pin on this, which is that Andy Kaufman grew up watching wrestling. He wanted to be a wrestler, but he is not big. He is not strong. He does not have the look or the physique of a wrestler, but he's got the mouth of a wrestler. And because he's got the mouth of a wrestler, that means you could be a very effective villainous heel manager in the world of late 70s, 1980s wrestling. And I think kind of the the transactional part of this relationship is that Jerry Lawler was legitimately a wrestler, but what Jerry Lawler legitimately wanted to be was like show business. He he wanted yes. to be some level of a star. And yeah. Andy Kaufman represented a pathway to legitimacy on that front, much in the same way Lawler represented a pathway to legitimacy for Andy Kaufman. I think Lawler ultimately wanted to be some form of Walt Disney, you know, creating these cartoons and then also doing other types of shows and, and producing that sort of stuff. Um, oh, I had a question here. And I, I forgot what I was going to say about, but um, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's get into it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. One more thing before we get into it. Have you seen I'm okay. from Hollywood? Yes. Yeah. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on I'm from Hollywood since we're not going to go blow by blow through that today? I have, uh, God, it's been so long since I saw it. And I, I meant to bring up during these early days of comedy central was my, uh, 15 minutes of fame, so to speak, I think. I was on an episode of a Short Attention Span Theater doing, like, a 20-second bit. It was I had a joke originally about, uh, oh, like, when you got pulled over by a, a cop and turned into the clock game from the old Price is Right, where, you you know, higher, lower, lower, when they asked you your speed. It was a, it was a bad joke, but I was 18 at the time. So I was like, so it's like, that's a thrill of a lifetime. I'm in college, and I see myself on TV real quick. But um, <laughs> uh, what I remember of, of I'm from Hollywood, um, man, I'm mixing it up right now that I think about with uh, my dinner with Blassie or my breakfast with Blassie, which Kaufman also did. Yeah, right, which is sort of a send up of uh, my dinner with Andre. Uh, yeah. What I remember from I'm with Hollywood, actually, a lot of it was Robin Williams. He do- Robin Williams was very, very good at helping to sell this whole idea, um, and the, kind of the crux of this documentary is that Andy got into wrestling, and it led to the self-destruction of Andy Kaufman. He was just gone. Like, the, the way they paint it is, it's like a mental breakdown. I don't know. I think some people were saying, Andy, come back to us, come back. But it was too late. Fathoming why Andy wrestled is like wondering what's at the bottom of Mariana's trench. It's an enigma. I really knew it was really far gone when he put me in a headlock and said goodbye. Yeah, uh, I, I remember when, this. Yeah, when you're younger, you know, when you're like nine or ten, you're like, oh my God, what happened to Andy Kaufman? And somewhere down the line, I was like, wait a second. No, this is all part of a gimmick. And, and at that moment, that's when it sort of dawned, like, oh. Actually, that's the part that angers me the most about the whole Andy Kaufman mystique is that all his friends and stuff, years later, like Zamudin, I think it was 2004. Organized this big benefit that Andy Kaufman would come back. It was basically Zamuda dressed up as Tony Clifton. 
coming in there but but it's just like all, everybody pulling up oh no andy's still alive and andy you know this and andy that it's just like at some point you know you, you don't want to go total kayfabe and realize it's all you know tell everybody it's all a work but also you guys don't have to be all working it still i, I think yeah that's no no kind i'm of with annoyed you. Me. The, the, there is an overworking of the kaufman thing and i'm on board with that and and i definitely remember that little chapter too where i was like but guys andy's dead let's let's just yeah zamuda was putting in uh, ads and papers and stuff like that andy kaufman's coming back and Kaufman's brother said, "Oh no, no, he faked his own death. He'll, you know, and he's definitely still alive." I'm like, "Guys, come on." <laughs> but at the same time, I also really, especially as we're in an era where no one really keeps kayfabe, it's really, yeah. really fun to see like deep multi-layer kayfabe and see how that really pays off. And he always dreamed of wrestling. <laughs> He could see himself in the ring With bulging biceps and an evil sneer Basking in the spotlight As he heard the crowd's cheer But Andy wasn't tough enough Big time wrestling can be so rough No, Andy wasn't tough enough So he started wrestling women Andy always dreamed So let's get right into the Andy Kaufman character here in Chapter 1. So Chapter 1 begins with our opening Andy Kaufman promo. I'm going to play a little bit of it here right now so you can get a taste of him. I've never met a woman in the ring in the three and a half years that I've been doing this who was able to pin my shoulders to the ground. And it's embarrassing, but I'll keep doing it because they keep saying they want to try. And as long as there's women out there that want to try and humiliate themselves like that. Now, I'm not saying women are mentally uh, inferior to men because uh, when it comes to things like uh, uh, cooking and cleaning, washing the potatoes, scrubbing the carrots, raising the babies, mopping the floors. Uh, they have it all over men. I believe that. But uh, when it comes to the wrestling, when it comes to them getting in the wrestling ring, there's nothing up there. They're all oatmeal north of the eyebrows. They're all, uh, you know, we Tina for brains. You know what I mean? I will pay $1,000. I'll take on anybody who wants to come in that ring and volunteer. I don't think you can do it. You know why? Because I'm going to send you back to the kitchen where you belong. I'm going to have you scrubbing the potatoes and washing the, washing the carrots. <laughs> Because that's where you belong, ladies. This promo establishes Andy Kaufman as primarily anti-second wave feminist. There's a number of different wrinkles in this character, uh, but obviously women should be in the kitchen, they should be scrubbing the potatoes and carrots. Now, now there are going to be other things that are introduced into this character that are also as important as being anti-second wave feminist. We, we get a little bit of the I'm from Hollywood vibe, explicitly in some cases, but Kaufman comes in with a little bit of the northern carpetbagger vibe as well. You know, this is to me the. It's weird because I think in wrestling there there's a tendency where you have to you go hard on on the beat on the absurdity, 
And then you eventually find the layering within that. I think this is just the, yes, women are are inferior to men and they should be in the kitchen. And you, you establish that to establish this is who the character is to get the booze. And then you start the layering after that. And I, I think that's the kind of the genius of, of this whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Chapter one, it's just Kaufman thinks that he's better than women. Women belong in the kitchen. So chapter two here, we get Andy Kaufman, and he, he now is doing what? Well, let me stop you real quick. Okay. We should explain where we're getting these chapters from. Absolutely. Sure. Um, I there's a three disc set uh, that you could get that you can torrent. <clears throat> um, so it's uh, less than legal means, but we're behind the Patreon here over at, uh, at over at uh, Pro Wrestling Torrents Classics. It's three discs worth of Andy Kaufman and, and Jerry Lawler uh, stuff. And it's a really fun watch. So what we're going to be doing here in this section of the show is. Going chapter by chapter, obviously not the menus, so if, if you're doing this, this is now chapter two. So chapter two is Andy Kaufman wrestling different women, opening exhibition matches, uh, and he would go all over the place and have these matches, and my understanding is a lot of them were actually, like, legit. They were actually shoot matches that Kaufman would win. Is that right, Jeff? Is that what your I'm research not, showed I'm up? Not, I, I'm not ready to go that far. Okay. I, I I think maybe a couple of them might have been shoots, but I think for the most part... Well, I think definitely the Foxy one is, is obviously yeah. a work. No, Foxy's obviously a work, but I, I think a number of them along the way were shoots. I, I don't think Susan... I think Susan's obviously a work. I think Foxy's obviously Well, okay, the ones in the ring, I, I think it, it might have been a shoot, but it was a work between Kaufman and the ref to count the shoulders down. Okay. How about okay. that? Okay, yeah, I think that's also true. It was, it was a bit of a grift. So, yeah, so to speak, but no, Susan is uh, Susan's a special case. I think she's actually a groundling or something. Uh, I forget. I've seen her somewhere. She's an actress. The one that uh, the one that she he has at at, at oh, the okay. mansion. Okay, sure, sure. So Kaufman is having these exhibition matches, and he beats four women in thirty seconds each. Um, and the whole thing that's great about this is Kaufman is beating people from the audience. And, and, you know, we're getting Kaufman now establishes this guy from the north who thinks that he's better than everyone from the south, um, that he's this real tough guy, but he's obviously this torpy-looking dude, and you can't have him going around beating actual wrestlers. So he's beating up people, quote-unquote, from the audience. Um, and, and that sort of creates this mood in the audience that anyone could beat Kaufman, that he's not legitimate on any level because one of us can do it, and then also creating this annoyance among the crowd that Kaufman can't wrestle, so why can't one of us beat this guy? Uh, So I think what it does at this point is really kind of establish that um, Kaufman as a victimizer vibe, that this is a guy who is down here tormenting this good southern audience. It, it's a tradition as old as time in professional wrestling. The can anybody come in here and beat this guy? We'll pay you this much money. Oh man, and, I'd love and, to see this guy get his ass kicked. Yeah, and and you know people would come in and and the shooters would usually you know end up breaking their arm or something like that to do it. But this is a a different way, and so this establishes him as a superior force. And then, um, you know, is is the Susan video after Foxy? Because I don't want yes. I don't want to jump ahead. Okay, so I'll wait till we get past Foxy to talk a little bit about. It's actually the bang bang here. So chapter okay. three, 
we have the match against Foxy. And this match, unlike the other enhancement matches, goes 8 minutes and 35 seconds. And after the match, uh, Kaufman is still attacking Foxy, who he's just narrowly defeated. And Jerry Lawler gets in the ring and tosses Kaufman off of Foxy. Yeah, Foxy, I believe, is a female wrestler in the Memphis area, or at least someone that Jerry Lawler knew um, it's kind of uh, played up in Man on the Moon with Courtney Love being the plant and then Jerry Lawler, you know, coming out and ruining it. But, uh, yeah, this this one, I loved this Foxy match. I did. I thought this was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it's great. She gets a lot of offense. She's really fired up. Uh, I, I, no, this is, a, uh, this is one of the better matches of this feud. I, I guess what I should say is... Um, this feud, Only matches of this feud. <laughs> yeah, this feud's a lot of fun despite the matches. It's not like the matches are quote-unquote great wrestling, but I, I found this to be endlessly engaging the whole way down because of all the twists and turns. Yeah, and, and especially, you know, Kaufman, you know, making fun of Foxy's weight, which, of course, is more, you know, cheap heat for the most part, but it also brings up the point that, yeah, you know, Kaufman may be in danger of losing it, so, so it brings the crowd in on, on that part as well. Yeah, right, right. And actually, it also illustrates the weight differential. Makes him Uh look a little bit more in peril, like she's got a little bit better of a chance. So that gets us to Chapter 4. After the match between Foxy and Kaufman, Lawler pushes Kaufman off of Foxy. He doesn't punch him. He doesn't do anything at this point. And, And that's important because Lawler is now getting a deposition from Andy Kaufman and the first of many videos from Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman is by the pool with his attorney, played by Bob Zamuda. And whenever you see Zamuda, that's kind of the closest thing you get to Andy Kaufman winking because he could have, you know, brought someone else in who was not Bob Zamuda. But using Zamuda kind of lets you know that everyone's in on the con here. Uh, Zamuda's really good in this, too. Well, Mr. Kaufman, the bottom line is this. Uh, The law is the law. Assault and battery is assault and battery. It does not matter if this man attacked you viciously on the street of New York City or in L.A. Well, it wouldn't happen in Los Angeles here. But in, in the South, if you were attacked on the street or if you were attacked in a wrestling ring, you did not sign any contract that you were going to wrestle that man this eve- that, that evening. He jumped in the ring, he hit you, it's just as much, if a spectator jumped in that ring and hit you over the head, like this man clubbed you, I, I saw the tape, he would be so, oh, you, I have a case, Mr. you have a perfect case. A okay, perfect if case. I sue him, will I win? Yes, you will, sir. Okay, will he ever eat again? Uh, if somebody gives him a handout. Well, Mr. Lawler, I hope you have a lot of friends that'll give you handouts, because when I'm through with you, you won't be able to eat again. <laughs> you know, I love Zamuda when he's a straight man, but I'm watching this. And he goes, oh, yeah, you'll definitely win your case. I'm like, no attorney would ever say that to a client. Oh, yeah, you'll definitely win. <laughs> Lawler, at this point, puts a point on what is motivating Andy Kaufman. As we talked about earlier, he, he sort of says, and, and this is the truth that is worked into the kayfabe, that Andy Kaufman watched wrestling his whole life, wanted to be a wrestler. Um, was not given a wrestler's body and found his way into show business. And but, but now that he's made his money in show business, really would like to be a wrestler and really would like to be doing the thing that he thinks real men do, which is wrestling. And, and along the way here, we get a number of really great Jerry Lawler promos. And for those who aren't familiar with Jerry Lawler as a talker, uh, this DVD collection is a really nice introduction to some of his good work. Yeah, I'm actually interested. I did not find anything in my research on this. But I'm wondering why he picked Memphis. 
I'm wondering if he actually went to like Vince Senior slash Junior and said, "You know what? L- let's do this." And they said no. Or if he went to Georgia and asked, or anything, or or if he just went to Memphis thinking that they'd be the ones most uh, amiable to doing this kind of thing. Yeah, I would love to know more about why Memphis. That is a really interesting, lingering question. And, and from all the stuff I've ever seen with King, he always talks about hitting it off with Coffin, but he never actually talks about, like, the link-up between the two and, like, what motivated Coffin to seek out Memphis of all of them. Maybe Memphis is the one that he watched. Maybe it's just that simple. Well, it, it might be that, because I think Buddy Rogers was from around that area, but also I think it might also just be the southern aspect of it. He target he wanted to target that kind of thing because that'd be the easiest way to get heat as opposed to like a more sophisticated New York audience that really liked him as a comedian. Yeah, yeah, that's also a part of it. Maybe it would allow him, maybe in his mind, he could kind of work a territory and be in bizarro land. And, and, and actually, I think, you know, a little bit to that is the way that he uses Letterman. Like, when he's on Letterman, which is in Chapter 5 now, um, there's a bunch of these Letterman spots. We, we have the ones in the DVD here. But if, for those interested, you can actually watch, like, a super reel of pretty much all of Andy's appearances on Letterman. And you can see a lot of Andy Kaufman working as the heel wrestling Andy Kaufman character. But, and I don't know if you noticed this, Jeff, I, I noticed that Kaufman modulates the heel Andy Kaufman character when he's on Letterman. He's like 25 to 50% the character that he is when he's on Memphis Wrestling, but he's still very much staying consistent to that Memphis Wrestling heel that he is. Tell me, <laughs> tell me about your wrestling, your upcoming wrestling extravaganza. On Monday, April 5th, that's this coming Monday, for the first time in my career, I'll, I'll be wrestling a man. And... Uh, <laughs> Quite a milestone, Andy. He is a professional wrestler, and uh, he, it's like he holds the Southern Heavyweight title, and uh, he's about 260 pounds. His name is Jerry Lawler. Mm-hmm. The way this came about was I was wrestling a woman down in Memphis in the Mid-South Coliseum, and he, Jerry Lawler, was training this woman for about a month, and uh, after the match was over, he came in the ring and started pushing me around. As a result, I got mad and threatened to sue him and all this kind uh-huh. of stuff, and... Uh, I was just trying to get him mad, you know, but I, what I didn't know is he doesn't have a sense of humor, so he really did get mad, yeah. and he challenged me to a match. Well, he's, he's actor Andy Kaufman on here, and you can tell that he's kind of, this is where he's playing the comedian slash troll slash performance artist Andy Kaufman as opposed to the wrestling guy Andy Kaufman here, because he'll do, he'll do things, um, he'll play it a little bit more straight at first, and he'll keep upping the stakes of the scene as it goes along when he's on with when he's on with Lawler on Letterman. Yeah, and when he's just on with Letterman, what Kaufman is doing rather than getting very angry at Dave because going full angry at Dave and frothing and yelling and doing the obscenities, it doesn't work with just Dave. So when it's just Dave, what Kaufman is doing is playing up a bit of a deluded and spacey idiot. He's not sympathetic, but no. you, you almost kind of feel bad for him because he's so clueless. You know, like you know what it is. Back there and talking about kicking Lawler's ass and how he's going to be able to beat him because he's been training really hard. Dave's like, oh, oh okay. It, it's a weird. It's a weird uh, method acting type of deconstruction where it's like, I'm an actor, 
and I wanted to do this professional wrestling thing, so I started wrestling people, and now I think I'm ready for Jerry Lawler. You know, it's yes. like it's like you do like, oh man, I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be playing this kind of character in a movie. So I decided to do this research and really, oh, I'm gonna play a doctor. So so I, I followed a bunch of doctors on their surgical rounds, and you know what? Tomorrow I'm gonna be d- taking out somebody's kidney. <laughs> it's it's kind of like that. Now now within here, I believe they they also played the Susan video on his first appearance on Letterman, right? This yes, is yes. Now, and, and Letterman was very willing to help weave all of the promotions for Andy Kaufman's appearances in Memphis onto his show. I think Letterman's actually a fan of wrestling. He period. was he was in Indiana. He was a big fan of uh, Bobby Heenan and uh, I believe the crippler Ray Stevens as well. So he, he kind of got that Midwest type of thing. He kind of lost interest in it after a while because, you know, he he's just so sardonic and sarcastic. He's just, I can't put up with this hokey crap anymore. But the, the thing to me was when you watch when you watch the video, the Susan video, which is he brings a uh, overweight, I believe she's a comedic actress and she's she's uh, bills her as being 300 pounds. Bills her as being 300 pounds. When you watch it without the, the, the Letterman audience, it comes off so much more differently than yeah, when you hear... Yeah, it comes off really dark. It's really strange yes. with like the sizzle reel, because when he's doing it without like any of the laughter, any of that spicing up, it, it, it always... And that's the first time I saw it, was without that. It comes off as dark kind of fucked up like he's really kind of losing his mind a bit because he's beating up a woman and like when he's on there he's like oh yeah baby oh yeah like it's uncomfortable come on baby that's what's just gonna happen to you Lawler see come on baby come on Andy I think you really hurt her doesn't matter she doesn't have any money she's poor she can't sue me it's like no he, he's wrestling her and then he starts to get sadistic on her yeah. it's, it's that turn and then when you played in front of that new york crowd that that you know that supposedly sophisticated erudite you know into the anti-comedy of lawler type thing they're watching it and they're howling with laughter at him abusing this woman and you're like well, no wonder he couldn't do this in the WWF or WWF at the time because they would have just looked at what he was doing and laugh at it as opposed to buy into it as being somewhat real. What Kaufman's doing doesn't work if there's not some level of moral outrage to him doing it. Yeah, if, if you think it's all a work, if, you think, if you're watching it like Andy Warhol did that first Saturday night's main event or whatever that he was at or, or WrestleMania that he was on. He's like, oh, this is brilliant performance art, you know, kind of thing. And you're just like, you know, if you don't have that that crowd, you know, the kind of the old Southern crowds that people describe, the kind that were bringing like knives to try and stab the heel type of heat, then this kind of thing will never work. Yeah. Yeah. I know the audience is super important. So then we get chapter six. And it's Kaufman versus Lawler, round one. Now Bob Zamuda is out as the ring manager to Andy Kaufman. And this match, like most of Andy Kaufman's matches, are all Andy Kaufman stalling. And it does start to lose the crowd. They become impatient about three minutes in. And and it's not angry or impatient. It's more quiet impatience. Lawler grabs the microphone, gets the crowd back, um, and he offers Andy Kaufman a free headlock. Andy, you, you can get a free headlock on me. If you watch Man on the Moon, 
they they do this scene. They actually remade this scene with like several chapters of this feud kind of ported into yeah. one big scene built around this particular chapter. And with Jim Ross doing Lance Russell, and he's not a good substitute in my opinion. No, 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 no. Lance is. Uh, it's a big difference. La- Lance plays it so straight and so aw shucks your uncle. I mean, like like I- I've said before on Shake Them Ruffs, my two of my favorites. I love Lance Russell and I love Bob Cottle because they're like your uncles who are just like, oh, come on. Why do you have to do something like that every time they want to shame you as opposed to having that, that loud, bombastic type of you know, outrage that Jim Ross does. But I, I loved I loved the pacing of this first one where they do lose the crowd. Almost as if they're daring the crowd to turn turn off of the entire bit. Just to bring them back in. Because it makes Lawler it makes Lawler's angry promo that much more rich when the audience has tuned out of this thing because, oh, man, Kaufman's not really going to fight him. The, you know, he's, he's, he's doing Zabisco up to a up to a 11 or 12 level in terms of stalling and, and, and whatnot. And also makes the outrage of because the pile driver had been outlawed. Um, it makes it, it, it makes it that much more impactful when he does it. I love I'll this. tell you, the big back body drop is impactful in and of itself, Bob, in no small part because, like, Andy really takes that on his head and shoulders. Like, he, he folds hard on that, and then he gets the power driver. Uh, Kaufman er, is protected on the power driver. Lawler delivers it safe and sound. And then we get Kaufman stretchered out, which I'm sure was this boy's dream. He loved every minute of getting stretchered out of that arena. Yeah, I believe this was how he was written off to go back to, uh, I believe he had just gotten taxi at this point. I might be wrong on the timeline there. but this is Yeah, how he gets I think re- that's right. This is how he gets written out of the territory because back then a pile driver, the most devastating move in professional wrestling, would knock you out for three months. This is what made the Kaufman-Lawler feud so good. Kaufman was not trying to get over. He was really like business first on this stuff. So he always made Jerry look really strong. Um, In Chapter 7, he comes out. He announces that he's leaving Memphis. He's never going to return again to uproarious cheers and applause with his neck brace on. And then after that, he goes, I shall return, and walks off. I I love these promos. I love these kinds of promos where people, like, I think one of my other favorite ones of this kind was when Batista did it before leaving the WWE where he's oh, like, yeah. I yeah. quit, I quit, I quit. I love whiny heel, I'm never returning to this place again, and you're going to miss me when I'm gone. And it's really to underline the fact that, yeah, I'm coming back at some point. But I, I absolutely love these. So it gives us just enough time for us in the audience to forget about Andy Kaufman. And Lawler moves on to his next feud. And he is wrestling against Nick Bockwinkle in a little cameo appearance of my man Nick Bockwinkle. They bring in everybody into it's these great. feuds and you real I didn't realize how long the Kaufman Lawler feud lasted but it was what two or three years yeah because it wraps you, around because you have cameos from Bachwinkle coming in from the AWA you have Je- Jesse Ventura at some point coming in for the TV belt or the Southern belt I forget which one they had Lawler had it's the Southern heavyweight time. champion like, yeah. I feel like Lawler loses the Southern heavyweight championship a couple of times and, and, the, and then with I mean to me this is when this is when the angle really takes off because Jimmy Hart is and Jimmy, Jimmy Hart and 
a cast of thousands almost literally from the first family because I think everybody at some point was a member of the first family at one time. Yeah, yeah, or Jimmy Hart and the whole family as yeah. it were. Um but this is when it, it takes off. I I lo- I think Jimmy Hart had been hit by a a you know a flash paper fireball which was a favorite in Memphis and that's why he was supposed to have the bandages on his face. And and, ah, okay. and so there's there's a guy there's a guy with bandages down there seconding Nick Bockwinkle, and it's supposed to be Jimmy Hart has brought in Nick Bockwinkle to take out Lawler. Jimmy Hart is distracting the referee while Jerry Lawler has the visual pin on Nick Bockwinkle, but Nick Bockwinkle, after the ref is undistracted, is able to win the Southern Heavyweight Championship with a dirty roll-up, and then we get a first of many Kaufman reveals that the person we thought was Jimmy Hart is in fact not Jimmy Hart at all. It's Andy Kaufman, master of disguise, which is, you know, uh, Andy in disguise is a lot of fun because this is obviously a big part of what Andy Kaufman liked to do with making things performance art. Disguise was important. That's where Tony Clifton comes in. So it makes a lot of sense that you'd see Andy in disguise ported into his wrestling world. Um, And we now find out that Andy Kaufman has made an alliance with Jimmy Hart. This is, as you were saying, Jeff, a a great plot pivot. Um, The first chapter, those first six or seven notes, those were all self-contained. If that had been the end of the angle, that would have been fine. But Jimmy Hart is what allows this to have life for two to three years very easily. Oh, if you have never seen Jimmy Hart in Memphis... You need to go out and, and see it because this is when he is great. This is why people think he's a Hall of Famer. The WWE stuff is okay. The WCW stuff is garbage. Jimmy Hart in Memphis is one of the best heel managers, Weasley heel managers ever. And and to me, you know, in terms of this bit, I could just see Kaufman coming into the arena backstage and working the boys with the bandages on already, kind of like uh, you hear the stories of, you, you remember the uh, Eric Bischoff playing the uh, minister during the Chuck and Billy marriage? Yes, yes. And how he was in it all day and nobody, quote unquote, knew who it was. I could see Andy Kaufman doing that with these kinds of gimmicks. And I bet you that's part of the way he engendered fondness with the boys backstage, is that they saw that this guy was a worker and he was willing to go to that level to do the work. I mean, I, I, I'm looking at your notes. There's like cameo from super young Bobby Eaton. We had Bobby Eaton. We had Sweet Brown Sugar, a.k.a. Coco Beware, who's one we of my favorites. We have Sweet Stan Lane. Yeah, oh, this is the fabulous ones. Him and Steve Kern, who would, beca- who would become uh, Skinner later in the WWF. Okay, um, okay. Yeah, and, and you know, and uh, I'll talk about more about the cameos we get from the family because we have a lot of them here. Maybe I'll rant off some of them now. Buddy Landell. Yeah, Buddy Landell. Uh, one of the better th- matches on this DVD, too. And then, and then uh, in addition to Eaton and, Eaton and Coco Ware being a tag team under the first family banner, also Dennis Condry and Norvell Austin, the original Midnight Express, as a tag team under under Jimmy Hart. And Jim Cornette even makes an appearance at some point being Jimmy Hart's second. I'm just like, holy crap, man. Everybody was a part of this first family. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, every, it, at one point, the first family has a party, and it, they just take over your television screen. There's like there, 20 there's dudes a whole hell there. of a, Yeah, there's a lot of people in the friggin' first family. 
Um, they're like, uh, well, say like the Dungeon of Doom, uh, but that's yet another thing that Jimmy I'd say Hoffman more did. Devastation Incorporated. You know, yeah, kind of well, I was, or I was trying to think of uh, a superhero faction where you have a whole bunch of, like, mid-level goons. Oh, the Legion of Doom. We get a post-match interview with just a disgusted Lance Russell. He just wants good, clean wrestling <laughs> depth with, with Andy Coffin and Jimmy Hart, who feel totally heel-justified and explain their Healy justifications for why they're doing this. Kaufman's upset that Lawler put him in a neck brace. You cross the line there. Jimmy Hart's upset that he got hit with the flash paper. And now Kaufman announces a $5,000 bounty on Jerry Lawler. Andy Kaufman and Jimmy Hart. You know, I just I just love that inflection in Lance's voice whenever he brings him up. That kind of that dripping with disgust. Type of thing. I, it's it's one of my favorite things in in wrestling. Is it, it, Lance Russell's scolding? Um, <laughs> oh, he's so great. <laughs> Chapter nine. Um, there's not a whole lot to talk about, but I want to just say this was really nicely edited. If you're looking for some old school wrestling recap angle like videos chapter nine in this that's what it is we just takes us up through now lance russell is doing voiceover throughout this uh, the way it is edited feels like a sporting thing it does a nice job resetting everything that we've seen for through here in about 10 minutes i, I don't have anything more to add on that no i i it's 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 exactly how you say it. it's a nice kind of straightened to the point recap of the entire angle up up until that point um yeah and then and then we get into the classic classic david letterman uh show yes so after the the first chapter of this feud not like not the first little segment but like after kaufman takes the pile driver from waller now that he's doing appearances on letterman and during these appearances, he's sort of trying to say that he's learned his lesson and that he's a changed man. And he's working a bit of the angle on Letterman's show. And Lawler comes on, and, and, and you know this is supposed to be Andy apologizes to Lawler on Dave's show, except that Andy is still being a heel and continues to insult Jerry Lawler. And Jerry Lawler starts barking back at Andy Kaufman. And eventually, Jerry Lawler gets up and slaps Andy Kaufman in the face. And Andy Kaufman goes into his heel apoplexy and starts losing it on Jerry Lawler and to really sell the bit, rattles off a string of obscenities, which is so wildly out of character for who Andy Kaufman regularly was. That's how you know he was working. But I thought it was funny that he was willing to go that far on network television out of character for himself. Have you seen the uncensored version of this? No, I don't know that I ever have. Actually, I think I have, but I, I not in a while. Not it's like for disturbing this how dirty he gets, because it's it's to the point where if he had done it even today, there'd be some FCC fines coming down. I mean, there there are MFers and and S bombs. I mean, it's not just swearing; it's over the top obscenities, which not only helps sell it as real. But but it's very it, it, I mean for 1983 or 84 when, whenever this was, 
Oh yeah, it's a, you it's heard a, a motherfucker on on national television. Everyone would be talking about it. Find the audio of this if you can, since we're behind the Patreon while we can put yeah. that on. But well, I, mean, I didn't because that's I'm not that kind of a guy. Yeah, you know what? Uh, what kind of a you're, guy are you? No, no. not the kind of guy you. I'll just be over here. Uh, we're going to you know, pause here for station you know, identification. I, get the hoses out here. Uh, is Andy, are you coming in here again, or...? I am sick of this bullshit! You are full of bullshit, my friend! I will sue you for everything you have! I will sue your ass! You're a motherfucking asshole! As far as I'm concerned, you hear me? A fucking asshole! Fuck you! I will get you for this! I am sorry! I am sorry to use those words on television! I apologize to all my friends! I'm sorry! I'm sorry! But you, you're a fucking asshole! A fucking I think, uh, I think you can use some of those words on TV. I'm not... But, but what you can't do is throw coffee. I've said it over and over again. Well, that about wraps this segment up. I want to uh, thank my guests, uh, Mr. Lawler. Jerry, thank you very much for being here, and uh, good luck to you, sir. And my thanks to Andy Kaufman. I watched it. It's like it's like when you ever you watched a movie on TBS, and then you watched the real version of it, and it's not edited, and you're like, man, I didn't realize it was this dirty. Or I did even not... better, you've been running VH. Like if you were actually someone who would videotape stuff, and you were able to catch this on VHS cassette. Now all of a sudden, this is like a little gem. There's a gem of video right here on this VHS of Andy Kaufman live saying something obscene. And that's how we have this on YouTube today. It's that kind of gem. That's- this was actually the first time I had seen it uncensored. And I, I, I was taken aback by how many, how many obscenities he put into such a short time here. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's it's, it's very quick that he he tosses Letterman's drink onto Jerry Lawler, which I, I you know I think is, is funny. Um, in no small part because neither of them drank. So if you don't drink, uh, as, as someone who doesn't drink, uh, the smell of alcohol, especially if you like used to drink and don't, it just it it's grody at that point. So I I, I appreciated the commitment to that. Being I'm drinking right now, so. It- <laughs> <laughs> Hey, that's fine. That's fine. It's just uh, it's beer o'clock it, it's, here. Thank that's you. That's okay. Uh, you know, it's uh, it, it's actually not bong o'clock for once. Um, in, in the booth here, <laughs> uh, I'll have to address it at some other point here. So, in chapter ten, Lance tells us that a match has been made between Kaufman and Lawler, and it's going to be a handicap tag match, the first of many. So, it's going to be Jimmy Hart and Andy Kaufman versus Jerry Lawler, and Kaufman does a promo. It's okay, and, and it sort of reasserts the character fundamentals that Andy Kaufman's anti-second-wave feminist does not like the South, is a Hollywood northern elitist, and has a revenge-based alliance with Hart. Like, we get all four of those beats in this promo, and then Lance has a great reaction to it. Not a whole lot to that, and that what, builds what's up... What's Lance's reaction? I forget this one. I don't remember. I, I just wrote Lance has a great reaction. I, I think it was... Pro- <laughs> you know what it was? I think it is... That dude is weird. 
I, I think that's where he said that. Yeah, one. this is mostly Andy. Uh, I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, is that Tennessee. How you talk down there in Memphis. Is that how you talk? <laughs> you yeah. go down to the farm and do the thing, and did the do. We can all do that. It's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. No, I mean we we all we, those promos are effective, right? I mean the fact that like I mean you know it's it's simple when you go oh it's, it's just an easy button to push. You guys yeah. are hillbillies. Hey, we're not hillbillies. Don't talk. About us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you know? You think we're hillbillies? Uh, there's one part where, it, well, actually, we'll get to that chapter because I like you that guys chapter. are stupid and easily worked. How dare you say that? <laughs> no, we're not. You're a dummy. I hate you. <laughs> so, chapter 11, we get Jerry Lawler versus Andy Kaufman. I said it's Jimmy Hart. It's not Jimmy Hart. It's actually the Colossus of Death. Um,. Jeff, thoughts about the Colossus? Duke Myers, old school guy. Uh, I had not seen a lot of him up until this. Um, basically, it, it's it's another great trope of uh, especially He's Memphis. The Memphis and other territorial wrestling. We're going to get a big guy in a mask or in a costume. And he's going to uh, lumber. Menacingly. And he's going to lumber. Yeah. 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 He, he's a big lumbering mummy um, is what he is. It, I mean okay idea this is this is very superman um is sort of the thing i was thinking of like jerry lawler like to book himself like superman uh where he overcomes like the giant monster of the week sort of thing yeah and the villain the villains would be mostly it, it would mostly be the the scheming arch nemesis which in this case is jerry hart gary hart jimmy, jimmy hart, hart yeah jimmy hart and coffin and 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 they would bring in Here's our henchman who's going to finally defeat Superman so that we can actually run things. <laughs> uh, let's see. Smoky Mountain did this once with a guy by the name of Prince Karras, which is one of the most fantastic debuts you'll ever see because Daryl Van Horn, who is uh, the sinister minister Jim Mitchell, is just doing nothing but just saying dirty jokes the entire time. It's it's another it's another trope of territory wrestling. Uh, another one we'll get into when we introduce the. Uh, uh, what's the Confederate guy's name? Oh, the Rebel. The Rebel. Oh boy, the I'll, Rebel. I'll, t- I'll talk a little bit about uh, that in many ways in, in a bit, but yeah, no, this is just you know, we're gonna find a big guy, we're gonna put him underneath a mask. Uh, in this case, a very old, wily veteran who knows what he's doing. He's gonna put on a show, but basically, Jerry Lawler has to get through this guy to get to Hart and and uh, Kaufman. So. This works, right? Like, like you know, we're we're saying that this is predictable. This is not great wrestling. Predictable Dude, doesn't well, mean bad. Predictable, right? Just yeah, means or, or it's a good effective. Story. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so the crowd goes nuts when Lawler is finally able to get the Colossus to go down, and the Colossus going down looks like a giant robot man falling over. Um, however, Lawler misses the big fist drop, which allows the Colossus to regain control to the point where Andy Kaufman feels comfortable tagging in. And the Colossus holds up Jerry Lawler so that Andy Kaufman can finally hit Jerry Lawler, because Kaufman, of course, too torpy to do it on his own. Kaufman goes off the ropes for a running knee, but hits the Colossus, and the Colossus ends up tied up in the ropes. And now Kaufman is isolated with Lawler, and the crowd goes crazy. And I want to stop on this beat for a moment, because this little beat right here, where the Colossus is tied up, Kaufman is finally alone with Lawler, this is what that type of wrestling 
really thrived on. It's it's what you're trying to build to. This moment of fleeting justice uh, where, where everything is right in the world, but just briefly. And, and during this little moment where all is right in the world, Andy Kaufman gets suplexed, he gets body slammed, but then the Colossus gets free right before the pile driver. Yeah, it, it, it's the anticipation of, okay, Lawler has to fight this big thing to get to Kaufman. He finally gets the upper hand. Will he be able to get all that damage in and beat the crap out of Andy Kaufman before the Colossus can get free? I, I love I love this this staple of wrestling. Yeah, it makes every second matter because the the thing that's a question in your mind is not can Jerry Lawler beat Andy Kaufman. It's that there are going to be oil slicks and banana peels and green shells shot in Jerry's direction as he's making his way down the path, and will Jerry be able to get past all of them? The thing that's great about this entire angle is that Jerry Lawler loses this match, or loses every match in this feud, it seems, because he's trying to exact so much damage on it, he can't help but do the pile driver, which gets him disqualified. Yeah, it's a great way to keep this going, too. I, I, I kind of left off the fact that the important thing when Andy gets structured out of that first match is that Andy Kaufman gets the win over Jerry Lawler, which is something he likes to lord over Jerry Lawler. Anytime Andy gets a win in any way, shape, or form, Andy makes sure that it matters, which is super important in this chicken shit heel gimmick. They try to do this in WWE all the time, and it doesn't work because they just overdo it. The, the whole story of, yeah, you beat the crap out of me, but technically it goes down as a W in the, in, in the uh, win-loss column. Yeah, it's not nearly as effective as the way Andy Kaufman uses no, it. No, not at all. And one thing that's very effective here, too, is that Lance Russell on commentary is always making sure to shade what we need to be caring about. And and Lance, during this, tells us that the chase remains finally seeing Andy get his. It doesn't matter that the Colossus took the pile driver at 20.04 in this match. What we want to see, what we, the audience, want to see is Andy finally get his ass kicked. Jerry Lawler finally exacting some revenge on Andy Kaufman. Uh, chapter 12 opens up with a great Lance, yeah, boy, I'll tell you. I'll tell uh, you what. I'll tell you what. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm into it as a Hank Hill fan. And we get the post-match of the Colossus of Death and Kaufman with Jimmy Hart and Andy Kaufman backstage. Andy Kaufman has wadded up cotton and put it into his mouth and so he is now talking like tony clifton which is a lot of fun this is just a very very fun promo is, is this one where the, there starts to be the uh the strains on the heart lawler relationship like like jimmy hart is really kind of toying up like we'll get him next no time no they're in love with each other now okay they're yeah that right now this is love this is okay. love it, it all kind of runs together when you watch it like nine hours in a row. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's why I had to start taking notes and chapter it out like this because otherwise a lot of these beats would have gotten blurred together and I, ended up like Man in the Moon. I really like the interaction between Hart and Kaufman. I do. I think they oh, have it's a, so fun. They, it, it, it's like it's like taking Glee. It's like when the bad guys win that first battle and they're celebrating and stuff like that. It, it's such a weird cool little fun dynamic and and that'll only be heightened when they have the actual big celebration with the family but you know i i i love heels celebrating their heelishness there's something just 
pure about that. And you don't get that as much anymore in wrestling. Yeah, and I, I just I like Andy Kaufman as like kind of a storm system that passes through Memphis. That that he's always overhead. He's always got some sort of engagement with Jimmy Hart and the first family. And anytime Jimmy's doing anything with Andy Kaufman around, even not around, you have to wonder if it means Andy Kaufman is involved. You never know when Kaufman's going to come back, even though it's probably going to be during the offseason of Taxi. But it's a little bit like, not, it, this is a bad comparison in many ways, but it's a little bit like when Abdullah the Butcher would come into a territory. You know he's only going to be in there for a short time, but you know while he's in there, someone's getting their ass beat. And and that's, you know, Kaufman, the specter of Kaufman is always, you know, he's always lurking somewhere. And you know when he comes back, it's going to be chaos for Lawler. So, Chapter 13, things get confederate as fuck in this episode <laughs> of Memphis Wrestling. Like, distractingly so. If, if you're someone who is like, whoa, that's a lot of confederate flags, and you say that when there's like one or two, well, this, this chapter of uh, the DVD is going to be a lot. He's a heel in this one, so I mean, usually is the rebel a heel? Oh yeah, I guess the rebel. Yeah, because he's because he's yeah. working for the family, as opposed yeah. to as opposed to all those Confederate baby faces of the South of the of the early to mid '80s that you got during other wrestling. Yeah, no, that in this case it's a uh, it's Plowboy Frazier, who again we've brought up this trope before is your guy in t-shirt and overalls and bare feet. Yep, turned yep. into a different character. Which it's just like this never saw. and then this man mountain link, oh Rick Link, I you know what part of me hates this kind of character and yet part of me loves it. He's going in the audience scaring children. He's eating raw chicken. Oh my god! Dude. I, he, he, part of me just he, loves he, it. He's eating raw chicken, is he? Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Like, I, I was, like, watching that. I'm like, you keep putting that raw chicken in your mouth, and I'm like, never want to eat a chicken again after watching this. So, oh my and, God. Yeah, and then, and then of course, because it's the 80s, we have to get a phone call on the air, and the technology just stinks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the technology stinks. Um, I, I, I kind of like it in terms of mood setting, but they, they hang on some of these phoners a little too long. And basically, the premise of this phoner is that it's great that Man Mountain Link has won the Southern Heavyweight Championship from Jerry Lawler, but Kaufman says to Link, that's cool, but I'm only going to pay the five grand if Link puts Lawler in the hospital. And then Kaufman says at the tail end of this that he's going to purchase Graceland and turn it into a museum to him, which even catches Jimmy. Like, it's one of the few random lines that Kaufman rattles off. Like, Jimmy's like, wait, I don't even know how to bounce off of this. Is this the one where they're complaining about, or where, uh, where Kaufman or Jimmy Hart's complaining that this is going to be a collect call charged to him? I don't know. And that the station, that... I think this is the one. I think it's this first one That's where funny. he's like, where he's like, Kaufman called him collect, and I have to take the charges. <laughs> <laughs> That's such another great little minor heel move. Is that this rich Hollywood star is calling Memphis collect and making them have to pay for the phone call. <laughs> so then we get to chapter 14 which like is kind of abrupt we get a video of Kaufman wrestling Jimmy Hart and actually this Kaufman versus Jimmy Hart match is, is a lot of fun I like it well I believe this is set up by the by the tag match that that comes on later it, yeah it, it's, 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 it's weird that the DVD sort of like 
swap these two around. Yeah, but but what happens is, and we should just go into that and and, yeah. and get in it, is that Andy Kaufman and Jimmy Hart are in a Texas Tornado tag match against Jerry Lawler. And, and, and during the course of the entire match is, okay, we're going to go attack him on three, one, two, three, and each time one of the guys would go and the other guy would just stay back so that the guy would get his ass beat. And then they'd come back and, hey, what are you doing? Oh, no, I thought you were going to go. I thought you were going to go. All right, let's regroup now. All right, this, this time we're going to do it on three. One, two, three. And, and what we kind of see in the video is that Hart is the more valiant of the two, at least initially. And then at the end of the match, he gets fed up with Kaufman being a chicken shit and tosses Kaufman into Lawler for a pile driver. Yeah, they, which, give, they give which, away the pile driver spot. Which, again, makes Lawler lose the match. Yep. <laughs> But they both get pile drivers for their troubles, and the crowd goes home happy because they finally saw that horrible Jimmy Law or Jimmy Hart and uh, that horrible Eddie Kaufman both get pile drivers. But I, you know what? As much as I love Kaufman and Hart, you know, together, I really liked this split and the hatred inferred. Even though we later find out, spoiler alert, that it's all kind of a work. But I absolutely love Kaufman and Hart getting into I love, you know, Jimmy Hart's kind of, um, you know, he, he's the baby face of the two of them in terms of being heels because it's like, look, I'm doing everything you told me to. I'm here in the territory working on it. You're just this guy that comes in occasionally, you know, go back to Hollywood. Uh, you know, I, I, I liked the dynamic of, of Kaufman and Hart hating each other. So we get to chapter 18, and Kaufman comes out, and he says to Jerry Lawler, he's got a $10,000 bounty on uh, Jerry Lawler, but he's willing to give Jerry Lawler the $10,000 if Jerry will just be a match against Jimmy Hart. He wants to beat Jimmy Hart, and and he agrees to wrestle the match, um, and Lawler agrees that he will wrestle the match if and only if this is the last time that Andy Kaufman ever wrestles. And Andy Kaufman agrees to this and not the $10,000. And that brings us to Chapter 17, where it was a double cross. Well, and, and it's Andy always Kaufman a double comes cross. Out with Lawler's, yeah, of course. A- Andy Kaufman comes out with Lawler's crown, and he hands the assassins the $10,000 check. And then we go to the video, and we see what happened in the video. And what happened is during the match, Andy Kaufman threw powder into Jerry Lawler's eyes, which allows the assassins to hit the power driver on Lawler and beat up on Lawler for a bit before Austin Idol, with a horrible haircut, comes and clears things out. Jeff, three minutes on Austin Idol's horrible haircut and how it does not frame his face well at all. Well, I can go into that, but I will also go into that this angle this angle worked so well that they ran it two more times with Jerry Lawler and Eddie Gilbert and also Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee. They kept on going back to this, you know what, I'll pay you to be my partner. Oh, no, no, you keep your check. And then, of course, it's a double cross every time. It, it, it's a... Sta- it's a infamous trope of the Jerry Lawler story in Memphis is that you know a guy that he used to feud with decides to make nice with him and then eventually turns on him again uh, Austin Idol is amazing I, I, I don't they're, they're, I mean to me there needs to be no brothers there needs to be more brothers and daddies and jacks in, uh, in wrestling promos and Austin Idol covers all of those um I he's have, Elvis plus Hulk Hogan plus Dusty Rhodes. Yes, he he's he's an amalgam of every Southern 
jive-talking ba- white guy babyface who's trying to uh, appropriate yeah, yeah, this, language. Yeah, cultural appropriation Cultural appropriation here. of this. But I absolutely love the line. And I, I this is the first, this is the only line I texted to you about the entire three DVDs. Two-thirds of the world is covered with water. The other third is covered by Lawler and Austin Idol. Oh, that's I a great have, line. I, yeah, I, I, I loved love that. that line. Um, yeah, and eventually Austin Idol also turns on Jerry Lawler and joins the first family. Because he's in during the, uh, I believe he's in there during the celebration with Lawler wearing, with uh, Kaufman uh, wearing the crown when they do the entire first family uh, celebration. Ah, that would make some sense. That would make some sense. I so, hate the assassins. Yeah, the assassins don't do much of anything for me. They're they're just two big guys. I've watched them. I've watched a lot of their history. I've watched their mid south stuff, which is okay. I don't get it. I, I got to be honest with you. I understand they're a legendary team. I think Jody Hamilton is. I mean, he has a certain menace to him, but if you watch all his stuff at once you realize he's kind of a one-trick pony. So I guess, I mean, I guess it's just you shouldn't watch it all at once. Kind of like Ric Flair would always kind of, he'd copy his promos from Worldwide to Saturday Night, and you'd see a certain pattern in there, and it kind of ruins the mystique of that sometimes. So maybe it's just you need to space out your work. But, man, I can't stand watching the Assassins sometimes because they're, I mean, maybe they were in shape at one point. But I've never seen them in shape. They're like two bowling balls. Because I watched them in in Crockett around 84 and 85, and they're just kind of lumbering around. And they're just kind of lumbering around here and talking soft and grumbling. And, you know, the gimmick's great. Don't get me wrong. The gimmick is fantastic. Two guys in masks who are just in it for the money. I'm down with that. But but overall, I, I you know, Hall, Hall of Fame stuff, I, I got, no, I'm not, I'm not down with that. Yeah, I, I, Hall of Fame is certainly not what I saw I, I, in this. Um, but th- this match kind of gets interrupted because Lawler comes out and tosses fire on Andy Kaufman. Oh, yeah. And then in Chapter 19, Andy Kaufman says that he is now permanently disfigured and he can't work movies because oh, of wait. Lawler. Before you, before you do this, because I love okay. this, I want you to go into, because you have a great note here about uh, about the Lawler promo after the assassins kill him. After the assassins kill him. Lawler comes out. Here here are your notes. Lawler comes out after and cuts a promo that goes from three to eight, and it's great. He rips off the neck brace, and we go to a sizzle reel of Lawler's work. Yeah, okay, so Lawler comes out, and he's talking, and he's very quiet. see Kaufman out here with a crown on, first of all, is, is sickening. Now, I'm sure... I'm sure that uh, Kaufman and Hart... And the assassins are in the back somewhere. Seen me here with this neck brace on after the pile drivers. Now I'm sure that they're they're laughing right now. Because you see, this is what this is what Kaufman has wanted to see for over a year now. So Kaufman, you take a good look. I want you to look at it real hard. And Hart, I want to borrow a little statement that you use all the time. It's he who laughs last, laughs best. And then midway through this promo, he rips off the neck brace. Because I want to tell you something. I am not, I am not a stinking little pencil neck wimp like you and Jimmy Hart and Andy Kaufman. You see, it takes more than a couple of bums like the assassin 
to put me in the hospital. I want you to roll a little piece of film. Wait a minute, I want to I want to tell you something, Hart. And then we go to the sizzle reel of Lawler's work, and what Lawler does throughout this is goes beat by beat, and he's doing commentary to all of his legendary matches and goes, I want you to take a good look at this piece of film. Roll it right now. I want you to take a look at this. There's been a lot of men come through here, brother, and they've done a lot of things to the king. There's been men bigger, as you can see right here, bigger and a lot better than your stinking assassin. And brother, I've had it all done to me by each and every one of them. They've come from all corners of the world. Terry Funk, Kendo Nagasaki, Crusher Blackwell, Nick Bockwinkle, Handsome Jimmy Vann breaking bottles over my head. Joe LaDuke throwing me on the table. But let me tell you something, brother. I'm still here. Do you see that? I'm always going to be here. It's going to take more than you, Kaufman, and more than you, Hart, and more than your stinking assassins to do away with the king. Brother, he who laughs last, laughs best. And I promise you, I swear to God, I'm going to have the last laugh on you, bums. Yes, because we are on point. We are on focus. Now it's, it's about it's about Lawler putting Jimmy Hart down once and for all. I love this promo. And I'll tell you what really puts it over the top for me in terms of really being a great promo is that ripping off of the neck brace and going, I'm not some pencil neck actor from Hollywood. I'm a professional wrestler. And part of the mystique of professional wrestling, especially in the territory days, was these are guys who are far better athletes than the normal man. And yes, they're, they're t- or even even more than that, they're tougher yes. than the normal man. They may not be better, quote-unquote, athletes. These are just tough bastards. Yes, and, and the toughness factor of it is what really gets it over to me. Meanwhile, Andy Kaufman is saying that he's permanently <laughs> disfigured and he can't work movies anymore. This is actually a good segue back in, anymore because of Jerry Lawler. And he says that this crossed the line because... Up till now, everything has been in the ring, but now what what Jerry Lawler has done has affected his ability to work professionally, um, and he wants to wrestle Jerry. He would love to wrestle Jerry Lawler. He'd love to get his hands around Jerry Lawler, stupid little Jerry Lawler, me, 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 but he can't because of a signed contract that says he can't wrestle ever again, and, and he knows that if he breaks that contract, if he did anything that was remotely outside of the contract, Jerry Lawler is the type of person who would sue him. Um, so that nice little, one thing I like about the Kaufman promos is they knew where this story was going and Kaufman would weave foreshadowing in all the time throughout these promos. So like when things would happen, they would make sense and you'd see the through line. I, I, you know, you have to be forgiving of the makeup job for the time it was because, you know, they'd basically just put a, sp- I mean, it's not as bad as the, the worst. You mean he's not really burned? The worst makeup job ever is when they're doing the uh, – in, in their final feud for uh, the NWA before they jump, Arn and Tully are, are fighting the uh, Midnight Express, and they beat up Bobby Eaton. And Bobby Eaton basically has a blob of, like, strawberry jam on his face that they're trying to get over as being a wound. Not as bad as that, but it is, it is pretty bad. What I love about this, I love – this kind of angle where it's like, you know what? You forced me to promise I'm never going to wrestle again. And then you keep building up to the point where they have to go back on that deal. I love this. I, I wish they do too. more of that. You don't want Jerry to get tricked. You know Andy's going to trick Jerry. And, and what I like, too, is that 
you know, Jerry's smart enough to not get tricked a couple of beats along the way here, but eventually, eventually, like, the heels' dastardly plan is going to work, um, at least to some extent. And, and that's very important to establishing a heel as a legitimate problem, um, even if they're not a legitimate threat. So we get to chapter 20, and Jim Cornette is super young and is the new vice president of Jimmy Hart's first family. And I'm very excited for Jim on his promotion. This is fantastic. Oh, it's great. This it's is great. Jim, Jim Cornette, I think, has only been in the business like a year or two. I think, I think this is right fresh off of that first Mid-South run for him where he, he hasn't gotten the Midnight Express yet. Because no, they're no, still the Midnight Express are not even on the same side of the roster at this at this point. And Bobby's at s- one side, Dennis and, is doing another thing, and then you know Stan is still a babyface. And you and you see him as such. A, I mean, this is fresh. I mean, he is such a natural to the business. I mean, this is almost how they introduced him in the WWF when he jumped from uh, NWA and Smoky Mountain. Like he's in yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, he kind of already outshines Jimmy Hart to a certain extent. Like, or or, or not outshines, but there is literally no continuity drop between Jimmy and Jim Cornette. He sucks the air out of a room to the point where a guy like Jimmy Hart seems small time compared to Jim Cornette. Yeah, Cornette's such a such a powerful talker. The the only thing that would have made this angle more fun is if like Kaufman and Cornette. Had gotten to have oh. more into, uh, right. Oh, could you um, imagine those promos oh, if Cornette and, and Kaufman had been together? Oh that, man, I think I think Kaufman would have been like a pig in slop. He'd yeah, be so no, happy I, about I think that. they both would have just been drinking from each other's cup and just sitting under each other's learning trees all day, just absorbing stuff from each other. Did you have any encounters with Andy Kaufman when he was in Memphis? Yes, I did. As a matter of fact, not not a ton because at the time that he came in, I was still. You know, the ringside photographer. And then uh, uh, when he came back to work and I had started in the business, I was on a few shows with him and got the chance to speak with him for a little while. But a lot of times he was in the big town and I was in the on the buttermilk run in the podunk town. So I wasn't around him as much as some were. But he, he was a, he was a, a, a quiet, soft-spoken, humble guy most of the time, especially around the boys. He loved wrestling and really respected you know what the guys did and and tried to you know get wrestlers like it nature boy buddy rogers on saturday night live and fred blassie and in, in the videos and different things and obviously the match with lawler he wanted to help the business and wanted to be in a part of the business uh and he was a cool guy i you know i never asked him for his autograph because i don't want to be a mark in the locker room and you know him go who is this guy but he was one of those guys that you could just talk to and <laughs> i remember lawler said after the match they had and uh no after after the the second time he came in to wrestle uh women and before the big match he actually asked him gosh do you do you think i could get paid for this one <laughs> and then from what i understand he, i don't think he ever cashed his check i think he just wanted it as a souvenir do you think something like that would work now or is it just is it just too too old hat well, no, well, nothing works now because everybody going into it is smart that we're yanking their crank. In this case, the wrestling fans in Memphis, one Saturday morning, turned on television and this network TV star of that had been on Saturday Night Live and a recurring role on one of the top rated comedies on television was all of a sudden was telling him that they were a bunch of redneck rubes and that he could beat any woman, you know, in, in, in wrestling. And, uh, 
they had no reason to believe that he was putting on airs or that he was working. They thought he legitimately meant it, and they hated him. And then, while he, and then, and then, obviously, in in a bunch of videos that were all taped at the same time as his, uh, as his disfigured promo, we get into the Kaufman offering offering suggestions and tips to the people of the South. It's a peace gesture. This is soap. <laughs> not soap, not, Jeff. Not soap. Soap. Not soap. Don't no soap, soap, soap. And, and and some of it is blue, and some of it is green. But you just take it and you run it under the water. I love Andy. He's so, he's such a great heel. Um, we get more of Andy's videos, tips for people of the South. Um, and it, I, one of the things that's very good on this is it's you know a lot of paternalistic Andy Kaufman. Um, and this one focuses on teaching Southern women to use razors, which is a great way to trigger Southern men on like any number of different things. You don't like our Southern women. You want to tell us how to live. Another Northerner coming down here and telling us your value. Oh, it's great. Coffin knows exactly who he's playing. But on the other hand, he juxtaposes it because he says, you know what? Men, when they grow hair on their face, sometimes we use these, but we look good with hair on our face as opposed yeah. to the women. I just went, oh, man. <laughs> it's it's such a great... I, I just love it's a return to the roots of him just trolling women. Yes, trolling women, trolling the South, like and, and merging all those plot points to make sure that at all times the Andy Kaufman character is utterly unsympathetic. Yeah. Um. There's nothing. There's nothing to latch onto with Andy Kaufman in Memphis wrestling that's remotely likable. That's, that's that's the whole point, and Kaufman's all in on that. Um. Chapter twenty two. Jerry Lawler loses the Southern Heavyweight Championship to Jesse Ventura because of a man in a chicken suit. This is like a real quick vignette. <laughs> the man in the chicken suit, it will later be revealed, is Andy Kaufman. It was supposed to be Jimmy Hart because I believe one of Hart's men or either even Hart may have lost. It's another staple of Memphis. Loser must wear a chicken suit. Um, <laughs> because... Yeah, because he can't tar and feather a guy anymore. So. Right, yeah, he's, he's, he's tar and feathering it. Yeah. Chicken suit. Ha 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 ha. Yeah. No. Yeah. This, this is okay now. And this will prove that he's a. And this will prove he's a coward. Um. Yeah. I'm. 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 I'm down with this. And and another. Yes. Uh, yeah. So Lawler comes out in. What in the hell of, is this? Oh boy, this, 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 you know, I, I mean, like Lawler, not exactly a fashion machine, but this jacket that he is wearing, combined with like a fresh version of the Jerry Lawler haircut, makes Jerry Lawler look like Nerdy Turpleton uh, to the nth degree. I don't it's know a what's weird, going on with it's this a jacket. weird bowl cut with like a, a mullet going on at the same <laughs> yeah. time. Uh, the bangs, the bangs yeah. on the on it. The front bangs are like my favorite part of the and, haircut. And, oh no, my favorite part is the uh, the beard that's trimmed into the shape of a crown. crown. Yeah, yeah, the crown beard. I mean, the crown beard honestly wouldn't be that bad if he had a normal haircut. Yeah, but the weirdo like bowl cut mullet, the bullet uh, that he is rocking. Um, boy, it, it's a lot. Uh, and, and then we get a Jerry promo, and it's fine. Uh, he he does throw down Andy Kaufman's VHS cassette this week, and he says that he's not going to wrestle if they continue to show the Andy Kaufman tapes, and then says, we're proud of the South, brother. We love it. 
Um, and, you know, one thing about Jerry, at least throughout this, is whenever he's proud of the South, he's not it, – it's it's never a problematic fondness for the South at any point in this feud. No, and, and, and it's weird because I think – you and I are planning to do a uh, an episode <laughs> that is problematic on Confederate baby faces. Sure, sure. Yeah, it, it, it's 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 not a it's not a you know we love the South because of the Civil War. It's just we have a certain amount of pride um, in you know family and you know neighborhood and community, and we're not gonna let you know some guy who's from another geographical region look down on us. Yeah, yeah, and the way Kaufman is trolling the South on that stuff, it's all subtextual. It's never like, ah, oh, we won the Civil War. Right. Uh, we won. The- yeah, yeah. It's 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 never that. It's 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 much. Uh, it's it's cleverer than that. Um, so we get into Chapter Twenty Four, and now Jerry Lawler is getting sued by Andy Kaufman for destroying his video because Andy Kaufman paid for time. So, you know, foreshadowing from a couple of chapters ago. This is um, great. I love Lawler. Lawler comes out with just the most... uh, He's just gobsmacked. He goes, you're not going to believe this. Have you ever seen one of these? This is a deposition. Yeah. uh, Yeah, 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 it's a deposition, yes. Or it's just a piece of paper that he holds up to Lance Russell. Yeah, but, but but but, 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 but the look on Lawler's face and the tone is... Is can you fucking believe this? You know, yeah, can, I, I loved his delivery on this to to uh, to, to Lance, who is just, just and Lance is a great sounding post. Yes. Yeah, yeah, but but he plays as straight as can be, but like is a good guy character, a good guy straight man. So he gives that bend in the tree that you need in order for this to land the right way. He's also mildly disgusted, but he still has to kind of play it a little bit straight. Um, we still get an Andy Kaufman video this week because Andy Kaufman paid for time, and he he is scolding Jerry about that and how he's paid his good money. And then we go to the phone, and it's Andy Kaufman, and Andy Kaufman is on the phone yelling at Jerry. The connection is not very good, but also no. Andy is totally yelling. yelling like Tony Clifton. Like, he's like one-quarter Tony Clifton. Um, he claims that Taxi got canceled because of Jerry Lawler. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love this because I mean there was so much wrong with Taxi going in and then and then I guess Taxi gets picked up for another year by NBC before it's canceled outright. But yeah, no, Taxi was downward spiraling because I guess you know actually this is the point where Kaufman was sick of doing Taxi because he wanted to do more than just be the weird wacky tongue guy. So he developed this whole. Latka Gravis is a guy with multiple personalities. I think at Tony, one point he tries to get Tony Clifton booked on the show. Yeah, yeah, that whole thing where it's like, oh man, Cl- yeah, Clifton, and then Clifton gets fired from Taxi, supposedly because you know, he was just discovered too much the to joy deal of with. getting kicked out of places and yeah. started enjoying getting publicly kicked out of places. Uh, one of the anecdotes from uh, the Taxi episode. Or not the failed episode with Tony Clifton. So he gets Tony Clifton booked on Taxi as a guest cameo spot. Andy's going to be off this week. Andy shows up as Tony, works entirely as Tony, and keeps kind of pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope until eventually Tony gets kicked off. Uh, Judd Hirsch uh, just sort of goes like, "I don't know what the fuck's wrong with Andy. I don't know what we're going to do with this, but but I can't do this." Well, with Tony everybody Clifton. was unhappy at that point. I think you know yeah. Kaufman and Conaway had gotten into a fight at the Golden Globes, where where Conaway had slugged 
uh, Andy Kaufman and then left Taxi. I think Danza and Mary Lou Henner both thought they were going to go do movies at this point. Everybody thought Danny DeVito was too getting too big of a head on his shoulders. And I think Judd Hirsch just wanted to go back and do theater. So I think yeah. everybody was literally un. Oh, and Christopher. I think Christopher Lloyd's the only guy who wasn't unhappy on the show. Andy Kaufman gets kicked off of the taxi set as Tony Clifton, and, and when they finally go to kick Tony off, essentially Tony pitches this giant fit on the set, and then they grab him, and it's just effortless to push him off of the set. He's just throwing his tantrum on the whole way out, but yeah. he wants to get kicked off of the set. That was like the whole point of him doing this. Kaufman as a performance artist is really the point of that anecdote. Yeah, but the point of this promo here is to say that he's been in Hollywood, and of course, who is he going to learn to box from than the greatest fighter of all time, Muhammad Ali? Because, of course, a man of his Hollywood status could get Muhammad Ali, could get tips from Muhammad Ali. <laughs> I, At the tail end of this promo, Kaufman so is losing his mind. It's so funny. Yeah. I, he he's really, really deliciously deluded. He he believes that he's learning from Muhammad Ali, um, and, and that builds us into chapter twenty-five, where there's well, I going think, to be. Now, now okay. before you get into that, when he's losing his mind, is he losing his mind, or is he pulling a Muhammad Ali type of promo type thing where I'm the greatest? I'm going to see you today. I'm going to, you know, he's really kind of oh, trying. Oh, he's doing a little bit that. of like Andy Kaufman aping Muhammad Ali a yeah. little bit. Ah, I like that. I like that. But he's like losing his mind, at least in terms of the energy gets ramped up in his serious way at the tail end of this promo. I think yeah, that, that and it's, is more what I meant by lose his mind. And it's to say, it's basically to tell Jerry Lawler, I was in the chicken suit all along. Now there is going to be a handicap match that is a combination <laughs> of wrestling and boxing. I don't know why this isn't around more. Brawl for All 2.0, I'm just saying. Because um, Andy Kaufman is now a boxer. Brawl for All 3.0. And Kaufman is putting over finally being able to use a closed fist. Now, wrestling, he always has to use an open-handed slap, but finally he'll get to hit Lawler real good with a closed fist. And Jimmy Hart and Andy Kaufman talk um, in this exchange. You kind of, again, see Jimmy is very good. Jimmy, I, I, I would never say anything less than Jimmy is good. It's just there are points where, like, Jim Cornette shows up and Andy Kaufman shows up that, it, you know, Jimmy does get outclassed at various points. Andy is just a little bit better. Um, and then we get a recap of the chicken suit angle. And at the tail end of that recap by Andy, Andy rattles off this line of, and Lawler's going to get hit with the iron fist of Andy Kaufman. Um, at which point Lawler comes out and Jimmy Hart cuts town. Um, and, and then Lawler starts cutting a promo on Jimmy Hart and Andy Kaufman has to listen on the phone. The, the best thing about this was how... How Hart sells this running out of the arena and how the fans are going nuts for this. Because Jimmy Hart, the first time he sees Lawler, he knows I'm a dead man if I stay here for one more second. So he runs full speed out of the studio. It's it, it, it's the sense of dread and selling that sense of dread that Panic. you don't really get in, in, in WWE when a heel's coming out. Leo Rush could be very effective at, yes. at taking it's some beats from Jimmy Hart here. I, I actually think, you know, if I, if I could sit Leo down, I'd be like, 
bro, you need to look at Jimmy Hart. You need to look at Jim Cordette. There's money for you doing what you're doing right now, especially as this little guy who you want to see get his ass kicked. Um, but but take a few beats here because, you know, the running. Like, Leo's running. I mean, I mean imagine that with Jimmy Hart's sensibilities on it. Look, if the first first note of Braun, when he hears the Braun, Braun type of thing, and Leo Rush goes running up the arena steps up until the next level, that you know would get really him funny? a... He jumps over Bobby Lashley, climbs yes. up Bobby Lashley, and jumps over him to get away from Braun Strowman. Yes, something like that. Something just amazingly, freakishly athletic to show, okay, I'm not, I'm not only scared of Braun Strowman, but I'm freakishly athletic as well. Andy and Jerry have their first freak show match, this combination boxing, wrestling, no tag, handicap match. And Andy, during this, gets on the microphone and screams, I've been training, man! I have been training! Um, and the pile driver is against the rules in this match. So this gives Jimmy and Andy the best chance that they've got. Um, but Jimmy and Andy, of course, run chicken shit in the ring um, and, and kind of keep doing that until Jimmy Hart eventually goes for the powder. And the first time he goes for the powder, he actually hits Andy Kaufman in the face. I thought that they should have let that breathe a little bit more, but they didn't. They instead chose to just go for a second powder shot, and this time we get Jerry Lawler uh, with the powder, and that allows Andy Kaufman, whose eyes are suddenly fine off of this, um, and Jimmy Hart to take advantage on Jerry Lawler. And Kaufman is punching Lawler with these awesome shitty punches. Like, like It's like his wrist is snapping as he is like trying to hurl his arms into Jerry Lawler feebly. Um, it's, it's really, really funny. And eventually, Jerry Lawler is able to turn this around. And Jimmy Hart is able to cut off Jerry Lawler from being able to hit the pile driver. And that allows Jimmy Hart to load up Andy Kaufman's fist with this a is great. bit of iron, a fist-like iron, if you will. And then Jimmy Hart and Andy Kaufman are able to get the pin after Andy punches Lawler with the loaded glove. So Andy is able to use the power of the punch. Both of them are doing everything they can to hold down Lawler. It's all they can do, and Lawler gets his shoulder up at 3.1. No, I, I love the breakup of the pile driver spot, and I love just all of the kind of – they're set pieces for slapstick, but it's still one of those things where everything kind of makes sense within it. It's like, okay, I hit I hit Kaufman with the powder, turns around, Lawler gets the advantage, I break up the pile driver, Lawler comes after me, I get enough time to put the thing in, in, in Andy Kaufman's glove, boom, one, two, three. It, it's so great. Chapter 27 is the first yes. family victory party. I know you want to talk about this. There is one guy in the audience. It's not Jeff Hawkins, but there is one guy in the audience who is fucking stoked that the first family is on top of the world looking down on creation. It's a cast of thousands out here. Yeah, it, Buddy Landell is sort of stealing the show by gargling champagne. I think you, you have Landell. I think you have Austin Idol here at the same time. I may have mistaken Landell for Idol. You have Bobby Eaton. You have the Bruise Brothers. You have Coco Beware, a sweet brown sugar. You have Dennis Condry. You have Norvell Austin. Oh, my God. Uh, at one point, one of the Bruise Brothers takes off his hat and has the most southern wrestler forehead of all time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, you could tell. But, I mean, it's like... And you have a couple. I think I think Rick Link is still around as as uh, 
as as uh, oh, what was his name before? The missing link, Man Mountain Link. Man Mountain Link. I think he's still in here somehow. I mean, it, it, there's a couple other guys I don't recognize, or I may have missed somewhere in there. But it's like I looked at what are all like twenty heels in Memphis under the first family banner because they're all. But I I love these dopey celebration angles where you know where it's not so obvious that you know like when Cornette would run this in mid-south and then later in the end of it oh here's the giant birthday cake well you know his face is gonna get put in the cake and there's nothing wrong with that angle but i like just having the heels being able to celebrate being garbage people this (laughs) this is this is where the pendulum has to swing in order for us to feel the full swing of the pendulum so i'm on board with that yeah, and Kaufman in the crown is yes. just just smelling his farts awesome. I mean, yeah. he, he is yeah. awesome in this whole thing. And, and I love that the heel standing strong chapter happens 27 beats into this story. Um, it would have been easy to go here this early, but once you go to here, everything after this point is a form of releasing the uh, potential energy. So we get a recap of how the first family has consolidated power, and we go to a video package where a babyface Stan Lane gets sabotaged from getting a cover in his tag team title match by none other than the scurrilous Jim Cornette. It's nice that they were able to patch things over. Who are they facing here? I forget. The, it was the famous ones. Was it the Bruise Brothers or was it Norville? I think it is the Conjure. Bruise Brothers. I think this is the Bruise Brothers winning their titles. The limited cover, camera coverage in this match actually works kind of good because there's, there's all the stuff happening on the outside that distracts you from what's going on, on the inside. And it's like... The camera kind of looks up and it's like, whoa, what the hell happened? And, and you have Lance hitting the notes on commentary and trying to explain to you at home what, what we just saw here. Um, that, that's all that there is to this. Next we get Chapter 28, which is Art Cruz and Plowboy Frazier, uh, no longer the rebel, uh, derepified. Uh, yeah, reconstructed, you might say. And he's against Dennis Condry and Norville Austin. And we get the first of Andy Kaufman on commentary. I... Love Andy on commentary. He he's is great. delightful. He's so he's, good. He's great. And, uh, you know, Condry and Austin, two-thirds of the original Midnight Express with uh, Randy Rose. But, um, yeah, no, though here, here's why I was getting confused. Because in, ne- in your next line on your, on your notes here, it says, Dennis is still in pretty good shape. This is actually before he went to the NWA. No, I know. I, oh, okay. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. That, what I'm saying, still, in, he was like in less good shape later on. Yeah, he, later oh, on he gets a little bit of the, uh, you know, the beer drinking gut. I think he's like 27 here too, so he's one of those guys who just looks 40 for all of his career. Right, 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 I right. I love Dennis Condry. I, I, I actually like. I think I like that version of the Midnight's more than Stan Lane and Bobby Eaton, but uh, it, it's a very close. Oh man, call. It, yeah, I was gonna say it's really close. Like, like you're making me pick between my favorite cats. Yeah, I think I'm a Stan Lane guy, um, but but I like them both. I really. I do. think I'm a Stan. I think I'm a Stan Lane version as well, just because their double team moves were far more vicious with Stan Lane because he had the Vegematic, which is an awesome move. Where and he, you know what I like about Stan Lane? I like his little karate martial yes. arty type spots that he would work. I, I mean, it's a little like goofy, but especially in like 1980s wrestling, if you just watch like a whole 1980s wrestling show, Stan Lane would do stuff that you wouldn't see other guys do in the ring. It's um, crisp. You'd be going his karate episode, yeah. is very crisp, so it puts it over. There's a uh, there's a young pistols versus 
uh, Midnight Express match from a clash. That's really fantastic. Rob and I watched it, and and that's what we know about uh, about Stan Lane as well. But uh, next chapter is when we get into wrestling as a time capsule. Oh boy, is this a lot of fun! So Jerry Lawler comes out with a 100-pound sack of wheat, and he starts talking about a new heel who is appearing in the territory, the Russian Invader. And he says that all the weapons that the Russians are making don't keep the peace around the world. And then he says that there are a lot of things wrong with this country, but a lot more things right about it, which is basically my take on America, but is also a very effective use of the my brother theory of, this is a little bit political, but not too political, Afghan politics. So so for those of you who aren't familiar with the concept, it's, it's an adage of me and my brother versus my cousin, my cousins and my brothers versus your family, my family and your family versus their family, our city versus your city. Essentially the idea that, like, you know, we always draw lines and stand behind them, and that is what allows us to unify. So we're, we're taking that model and turning it into a wrestling angle. So however you feel about all of these other heels along the way, this Russian invader is going to be bigger. And, yes, we, we've had our differences with the Rebel. Um... But, you know, hey, at least the Rebel kind of loves America in his own twisted way, even though the Rebel's not a guy anymore. Or maybe I've had a problem with Austin Idol. But Austin Idol's a dickhead, but he's still an American dickhead. So so this is a very effective usage of, of that kind of adage as a political approach. Um, the more cynical take here, which I should definitely note, is that this is xenophobic. At minimum, it's a staunchly anti-relativistic assessment between the United States and Russia. Not inaccurate at that time, but when you're like, your country sucks, buddy, your people are all starving. I mean, that's pretty, you know, patronizing. Well, what fascinates it to me, because this is an angle that was running in two other organizations at the same time, because... In Jim Crockett, you had Ivan Koloff in, in, in 84 slash, I believe it was 85, but may, might have been the end of 84. Bring, but Koloff was in the NWA doing the thing with uh, Don Kernodal, and then he later brings in Nikita Koloff and also Barry Darso as Crusher Khrushchev, you know, take over the Kernodal role. And then you had Nikolai Volkov in Mid-South doing this. But the wheat thing brings kind of a different different underlying thing to to the entire angle where you're actually bringing in the geopolitical aspect versus just the cold war aspect of it yeah and and in this case it kind of plays into the plowing of the fields in the southerners as a proud agricultural tradition Although Jerry Novak is terrible as the Russian invader, can we say that? Yeah, I know he's terrible. His Russian accent's like horrible. Like, like this is, this is pretty yeah. lame. He he's a, he's an old Memphis guy who they go. We'll turn him into a Russian. Go go out there and talk funny a bit. Yeah, and and he's just you know not big enough. There's there's a lot of problems with the Russian invader. He's he's the Colossus of Death 2.0. But we'll get into the more interesting part of this as a as a time capsule. I believe in 31. So uh, let's keep going. Yes, first we get a match between the Nature Boy Buddy Landell and Jerry. And and let me just say, people sleep on Buddy, and his career is wildly inconsistent. You know, you get different chapters that are really good. Different chapters of his that are, you know, less than good. But, man, at his peak, Buddy was legit. Um, Of course, the knock on Buddy is that he couldn't keep sober and kind of keep himself at at peak physical condition. 
Um, but here, Buddy looks good. He's young. He's in good shape. And we get more of Andy on commentary here. And, and just, like, along the way here, really good usage of manager characters with this heel stable. Because a lot of these heels would be garbage talkers. Um, Landell, not a garbage talker. He actually had quite a few good promos in him. But his promos were kind of inconsistent. And what Jimmy Hart and Andy Kaufman offer is quality control and homogenization. Landell's a guy who needed a I mean he was a great talker but he was better when he had somebody to play off of I think Rick Rude is kind of the same way yeah in many ways Buddy Landell's one of those guys who I had to become a big fan of in retrospect because when I saw him growing up it was in the NWA and he was the other nature boy and he was right he felt like such a carbon copy of flair he was a flair knockoff but now that i've gone back and i've watched things like uh oh and also the other time i I got to watch him during you know my peak fandom was when he was and it was one of his better runs was the redemption angle in smoky mountain wrestling oh yeah that that promo is actually the one i was thinking of when i wrote that note about his like good promos his redemption angle in smoky mountain that promo is great going yeah when he's when he's part of the cornet army but the other really great run of his is in mid-south before he jumps over to the NWA, where he ends up, and this is going to be racially problematic, kid, so I'm warning you now. He basically, he's in a tag team with Butch Reed, and he basically sells Butch Reed to Skandar Akbar for a watch. But Buddy Landell is fantastic in that angle, as problematic as it is in today's you know, if you're watching with today's mindset, but I feel but, like selling somebody for a watch was problematic back in the 1980s. It, but yes, I don't it know. was, but it was wrestling I, I'm learning back then, as opposed back to then too. It, well, it was it, it's, it was problematic, but it wouldn't have gotten it wouldn't have gotten your wrestling show kicked off of television like it would today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Certainly. Yeah. So in chapter 31, the only note I have here is that Jerry Lawler cuts a promo and says that he's going to make that Russian eat wheat, and I think that's all that happens. Um, I am going to go off a little bit on on this because I believe he go. also brings up he brings up a very culturally defining moment in my childhood and also in the eighties, which is why I, I always view wrestling as a time capsule, and that is the TV show The Day After. I really don't think either side wants to be the first to use a nuclear device. It's not a question of who, but where. East Germany sealed off the borders to West Berlin. I don't believe this is happening. We have a massive attack against the U.S. at this time. ICBMs. Over 300 missiles inbound now. Either we fired first and they're going to try to hit what's left. But they fired first and we just got our missiles out of the ground in time. not aware of this this is i believe it was on abc i believe i was in fourth grade at the time that this came on but this is a story about what happens after global thermonuclear war because that was still the cold war back then this is 1984 reagan's in office 
People who don't like Reagan thinks he's they're going to bring us to the edge of a of 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 a global nuclear catastrophe. And, and, this is, and broadly in the media, there is still just a discussion about, you know, yes. nuclear war. Yeah, I, I mean, you're, you're still having, is, I mean, it's a I point s- of focus for Reagan's administration. Like, I had, know. I had, I was, we were still doing duck and cover drills in elementary school at this time because of not that, you know, and, and people make fun of it now. But, you know, it's one of those things where you practiced for what would happen in the event of a nuclear war back in 1984. And, and the and last this, major nuclear bomb test was in 1979, too, yeah. right? China tested their weapons. So, I mean, these are things that are top of mind as it's not just Russia and China anymore, or it's not just Russia and America anymore. Now we're seeing other world powers achieving nuclear weapons. Well, but but also, I mean, you, you, you'd you have, not now, but a couple of years later, you'd have Red Dawn. You'd have, you know, there, there, were still, right, there was right. always the fear of Russia invading the United States. And this show scared the shit out of about half of America. It was one of the most watched shows of the time. Uh, I was not allowed to watch it because it was my bedtime and also because I would probably have nightmares. But but Lawler references this and talks about this and says, if you think that's scary, what I'm going to do to him is going to be scary. And I, I just thought, man, it's such a seminal moment to bring that kind of Cold War fear and pop culture and wrap it all into a wrestling angle at the same time. Um, yeah. I, no, totally. I just – and I remember the next day the kids that watched the day after just being really – kids that watched this were psychologically scarred by it. They, they yeah. were. I, I, well, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's one of those things if you actually think about the real implications of what a nuclear war would be, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty scary. And, and then, you know – I mean, the other thing is, you look at something like Chernobyl. Um, Chernobyl's pretty fucking scary, dude. Um, or, yeah, you know, that was, uh, but that was like the four polygon. years later. Right? Yeah, I know that was only that was four years. But I'm, I'm just saying, like, I mean, it, it's not a, it's not an irrational fear, right? Like radiation's no. scary. No, they no. There was a lot going on within culture, and especially in education, that made you aware that this was a very real possibility that the Russians would declare war on us. Chapter 32, uh, Jerry is doing a talk show, and this kind of, again, gets back to what I was saying. The motivation for Jerry Lawler in working with Andy Kaufman is that he wanted to do things like Letterman, and Andy Kaufman offered a vehicle for Jerry to be Jerry the Entertainer. Uh, Let me cut you you off here. Let me cut you off real quick, because it's not just Jerry Lawler. This is also Vince McMahon and Tuesday Night Titans wanting to be a talk show host, and this is why... On WWE television, there's so many stupid talk show segments. Everybody wanted to be a talk show host. They wanted to be the next Johnny Carson at this time for some reason. It's a fantasy of a lot of people to be Johnny Carson and just bled into wrestling as a trope. Yeah, yeah, and and this Lawler thing is a bit nails on the chalkboard. Oh, it's um, terrible. And, yeah, again, useful in terms of insight as to why would Jerry Lawler, the man, not the wrestler, be involved in this? Like, you can kind of see that interplay. Um, but let's get to Chapter 33, The Woodmill. Um, oh, well, I'm the king. Is, well, I'm the king. I'm the king of Memphis, Tennessee. Tennessee. I, I knocked that Lawler out last week. week. <laughs> I do, do, do. I do, do, do. I knocked him out with a right hook. Uh, and he just does it. it. He does it so long that the crowd at first boos, they die, and then they boo again because he keeps going. It's so great. Oh, 
It's it, there's a lot of new league in this match, and like I mean, what makes the new league even better in this match is that it's a timed round thing. So like Andy Kaufman just completely pisses away the first three minute round by stalling. And gets a 30-second break on the outside after this where Jimmy Hart is wiping him down and calming him down, getting the sweat off of his face. Uh, And and then we get into the second round. And in the second round, as Kaufman had been teasing on the promos, and this is great promo work, Kaufman's been working on the windmill. He can do the windmill for hours. He, 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 <laughs> oh, mean, that's right. Yeah, it's 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 the Bart Simpson. You remember the Bart yes. Simpson Lisa yeah. Simpson fight? I'm if just I gonna do this. kick. Yeah, I'm gonna do this. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. I mean, this is straight up slapstick, and I, I think you totally hit on it. I mean, what we see Andy kind of porting into wrestling is slapstick comedy, yeah. um, which is a big part of what he liked, and, and, and he's very much bringing this in. He's he stands in the center of the ring. And he sets up the windmill. And Lance Russell is putting this over on commentary as best he can, but is like, this is like, in, in so many words, saying, this is fucking idiotic. And, and then eventually Lawler just slowly walks up and, like you would stick your hand up into a slowly moving ceiling fan, he stops the windmill and then he kicks Andy Kaufman in the gut. And then he hits a suplex, he hits the fist drop, and he gets the pin on Andy Kaufman. I need to double back for a second. I think this, I can't remember when this was. This might have been during the celebration of the first family. But Lance Russell has a very sly, sneaky sense of humor that we don't really appreciate all that much. And I think Kaufman like said. some appreciation here. There, there is, but, but Kaufman, Kaufman says something demeaning to Lance Russell. And it's my favorite moment in the entire angle where. And then Lance Russell just fires back, you know, without missing a beat. At least I'm still working. And I just absolutely love. He's like talking. It's like they had brought up the cancellation of Taxi earlier, and Kaufman's out here, you know. Oh, you do a terrible job, Lance Russell. You're horrible. And then Lance just says nonchalantly, "Like, well, at least I'm still working." You, you know, there's <laughs> another beat that we we did miss just to kind of quickly double back. Um, th- there's a great part where. Andy and Jimmy Hart finally reveal that they've been working cahoots this whole time, and Andy Kaufman starts scolding the television audience um, that he fooled all of them and that they're all a bunch of marks and that he's played them like a fiddle and that like he didn't change his tune at all and that they're all so gullible and so easily duped and everything. And I, I just really appreciate the the layering that Andy Kaufman oh, always that puts and, in. Uh, that and him threatening to sue everybody in Memphis. Yeah, yeah. That, well, that when they're take, backstage, I'm going to sue you. Making it into a museum of him when Elvis just died five years ago, and Andy Kaufman loves Elvis. Yeah, uh, yeah. And everybody's backstage trying to get in at him in the locker room. He goes, "I'll sue you. I'll sue you. I'll sue you. I'll sue everybody in the city." And then there's one person <laughs> who's cool to him, and he's like, I, "I wish all of you would be more like him. He is very nice, and he's very respectful." Uh, this is basically fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. Only 30 years ago. Next is something I had forgotten everything about because, you know, everything about the Lawler Kaufman angle kind of wraps up on. And then Andy Kaufman died. But they yeah. never go into any of how his death was used on television. And let me tell you people something. If you were turned off by them using. Roman Reigns' leukemia diagnosis as an angle in 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 uh, 
in wrestling, or if you were turned off by them using Magnum's car wreck as an angle in wrestling, we've got a new leader in the clubhouse, kids. Yeah, I, I guess the only thing that maybe is like the asterisk is like this is probably exactly what Andy Kaufman would have wanted. I hate using that. I hate using that as but as I a know. Thing. I, I not, hate not using your case. that, but 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 that I feel like that argument definitely holds in this particular case. Oh, in this case it does. But I was just thinking of like the. Uh, like with Jim Carrey, and I'll go into this story now because I was on lot, uh, on the Universal lot when Man on the Moon was being filmed, and at that time I had I had uh, I was kind of I was split in time between working in a production office, but also I had to make real I had to make some money. It was an internship, so I I would uh, go be management at the theme park at the same time. And call and uh, and in order to get into character. Jim Carrey would do these elaborate stunts where he'd piss off. He'd come into the park and try and piss off guests. Like he'd dress up in the gimp outfit from Pulp Fiction and he'd jump on a tram that was on a tour and start scaring Japanese tourists. He'd dress up as a homeless man and he'd roll around in the trash and he'd come into the park and he'd start cussing out people as if he had just come off the street and the excuses we'd always get is, well, if Andy were alive today, he'd have... I'm like, uh, I don't like using that as an excuse for being a dick. I really don't. No, no, no. And I, and I agree with that. I think that, you know... There was a more whimsical nature to Andy Kaufman's trolling than what Carrie's doing right now. And Carrie was just a total tool during the entire thing. The thing with Andy's trolling is that he very... Like, what he would heal on the general public... It was very rare that he would heal on a specific person. It would be in a performance setting where he was doing it as a crowd. Right. And the enemy was the audience. It wasn't yeah. an individual in the audience. Um, and, right. And so if, it, when you would have those one-on-one encounters with him working at Jerry's Deli, right, like Andy would try to pretend it wasn't him. That would be you know, kind of his go-to gimmick. So he wasn't about victimizing you. If anything, it was about putting you off um, and making you feel like you were victimizing him. Yeah, it was an extended bit. Aren't you Andy Coffin? No, 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 that's not me. I'm just a busboy here at Jerry's. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we get to Chapter 34 here, and Lance Russell tells us that Andy Kaufman is dying of cancer, and we see the news article. Um, a lot of people, it's worth noting, at this point, because Andy Kaufman had been such a performance artist and such a stunt maker, um, a lot of people didn't believe that Andy Kaufman was really dying of cancer when he came out and said that he was dying of cancer. Uh, Jimmy Hart comes out and adds to this by saying that there are, this is very scientific, Jeff, and I'm, I'm sure you'll break down the other four in a second. There are five ways of getting cancer, Jeff. Um, one of them is bruises. And what we know is that the pile driver can cause cancer, Jeff. A um, bruise so are, on the brain. Like, what are the other four forms of cancer? How do you get those? Smoking. Li- smoking. Um, a bad diet. Bacon grease. Uh, and then uh, probably impure Styrofoam. thoughts. Yeah, impure yeah. Thoughts, probably, impure thoughts. Yeah, tire fires. But you know what? It's funny because watching this, I also thought back to a couple of the videos when he was doing the uh, tips for uh, Southerners, when he was doing the uh, razor and he was doing the soap. There's yeah. There's a couple times where, and even on the phone, there's a couple times where he coughs. Yeah, very that's subtly. right. And it's almost like, Man, he's sick right now, and he just doesn't know it yet. And you're just almost like, I think oh, part man. of him knew that he was sick. Like, that's the thing is, like, I don't think he knew how sick he was, but right. I, 
I think somewhere down the line he knew exactly how sick. Yeah, he was. but this thing where he, the pile driver causes cancer, I I, I had never heard. I, this is the first time I've seen this whole thing, and I I let out an audible. Oh my God, they did that! I could not believe that they were using this for heat. But of course they'd use this for heat. It's wrestling, stupid. <laughs> Uh, and would you consider all of the different levels that they were willing to go to with this? Um, yeah. And, and, and I, again, I, I, I don't, I don't want to crutch on Andy would have wanted this um, as, as a defense of every weird thing that gets done in the name of Andy Kaufman, but I actually think that this is probably something that had Kaufman's blessing. My, my gut leads me to think that. Um, and then at the end, chapter 35, it's sad. Andy Kaufman is dead. And Lawler, kayfabe's Kaufman's death. Oh well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, I mean, I kind of, I like it because at least it's consistent with the character. Where it's like I don't want to say anything bad about the guy, but you know, you you don't go to someone who hates you uh, to get a eulogy. <laughs> you know what it reminded me of? Have you seen? You've seen Tombstone, right? Um, yeah, but a long time ago. Well, it, it, it's uh, well, Ike Clanton's in a bar, and uh, and uh, Val Kilmer as as Doc Holliday is is coughing, and he goes. Uh, and uh, he has a spell, so they, they have to go take care of him and take him out. <laughs> I clan goes, what's wrong with him? He goes, longer. He goes, yeah, well, I hope you die. <laughs> That's all this was. I was like, holy crap. They're not, even, they're not even for a moment. But this is when wrestling was real. So they're yeah. not even for a moment going to deny that Jerry Lawler doesn't care that Andy Kaufman's dead. Because it would be such a disservice to the rest of the kayfabe world that they've spent literally years at this point building up. So that that is the end of Andy Kaufman's run in Memphis wrestling and in wrestling generally. And it's a real shame. I would have liked to have seen how the Russian invader thing was going to play out. I, I have this theory that Andy, if he had stayed alive, probably would have figured out that he could be pro-Russian for a lot of heat and would have started working oh, like slightly pro-Russian. My name's Andy Lennon now, you know, <laughs> I've been I mean, reading. I've been reading a little bit of Karl Marx. So what I want to do for all of you, you dumb Memphis people, he could have talked about the, the proletariat. I know you can't say proletariat. I want to talk about it. Yeah, no, I actually could see him doing a lot of uh, chair being, in the middle. Chair in the middle of the ring. Yep. Chapter one. Yeah. And just Use see how value, long he could go. Utility value. <laughs> it's really unfortunate because. I think his contributions to wrestling, um, because they were really contained in this one angle, don't get fully looked at and scrutinized enough. Unfortunately, he didn't get enough time in the business. But the time that he spent in the business, he worked as, as effectively as anyone. Well, and the problem is I think a lot of people view it as just performance art. Yeah, as and this to is what this it really is wrestling. did for wrestling. Yeah, this yeah. is wrestling. This is this is way more than performance art. It's wrestling, and, and what he did for wrestling was take what was territorial and make it national. He's going on Letterman, and he's screaming into the camera before they remove him from air. I've got a match in Memphis. He's going on Fridays, and he's getting kicked off of Fridays. And on the tail end of Fridays, he's like, oh, they're going to cut me off now. They're going to cut me off. You need to see what happens to me in Memphis. It's the hard sell. He was... He was doing the hard sell on a national audience to a national TV audience that would would normally not be exposed to professional wrestling. It's it's you know it must have done you know I don't know if tape sales were the big thing, but I wonder if anybody ever actually you know got into a car and drove because air travel was not as common as it was as it is now because it's still kind of a 
thing for one percenters, but I wonder if anybody actually drove into Memphis to go watch this based on the Letterman stuff. Any final thoughts here before we go for the wrap? You know, I uh, I really I I learned a lot watching all of this that I thought I knew that I didn't know before, especially the stuff in the later uh, end of this angle because they really just kind of gloss. Really, when you watch. If you don't do a deep dive of this, what you get is you get the Lawler-Letterman promo, and that's about it, and a couple of the women's wrestling stuff, and maybe, you know, maybe a Hart-Kaufman versus Lawler match, but you don't really get the full You get scope those first eight to was. ten chapters, and, and you and don't you, get the full, yeah. And arc. you don't realize that this lasted three years rather than just, like, a summer when he was bored. I want to thank you guys so much for supporting the podcast. Um, Jeff, of course, can be found at Crap Game. That's C R A P G A M E thirteen on Twitter. I'm at C H R I S N O V E M. Wait, I'm at C H R I S N O V E M B R I N O. I know how to spell my own name, Hawkins. Don't, don't, don't try to get into my head. And the homepage or our home Twitter account is at Shake Them Ropes. My other show is called Don't Worry About the Government, which you can find at don'tworry.tv and on iTunes and Stitcher. That's going to do it for this episode. Until the next one, bye-bye. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light one so proudly we Oh, man.